everyone and welcome to Talk is Cheap. I'm your host Will and today we are doing Original vs. Remake 2, Clash of the Titans. Ah, the 1980s. Was there ever a time where movies were just starting to hit their stride and the special effects were slowly catching up to the visions of movie makers that was more quintessential than the 1980s? 1981 was an interesting year for celluloid, from Evil Dead to Raiders of the Lost Ark to An American Werewolf in, one, in London, 1981 produced quite a few memorable films. One of these films that stands out for me is The Clash of the Titans, a film in the vein of Jason and the Argonauts from 1963. As far as the ancient eras go, movies about the Greek pantheon and the adventures therein are a guilty pleasure for me. Movies like Hercules, Troy, 300, Helen of Troy, which I don't know why they have to keep making Troy, but it's a good war, so fuck it, let's go with it. Really, any ancient civilization is fair game as modern civilization kind of sucks. No, strike that. It sucks. Period. End of story. The Clash of the Titans, released in 1981, was one of those standout period films, not necessarily for the story, but for its impact on my young mind. Any cinephile knows the name of Ray Harryhausen, a special effects guru known for a version of stop-motion animation dubbed Dynamation. At the time, most stop-motion animation was done on small sets with cuts between the animation and the real actors. Ray's technique, which tailored the stop-motion action overlaid onto the film footage already shot, created the illusion that the actors were interacting with the special effects in real time. It was revolutionary and would pave the way for greater innovation from the likes of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Peter Jackson, Tim Burton, and James Cameron, just to name a few. And that's the rub. Clash of the Titans isn't that great of a story. The narrative falls over itself with obvious tropes and one-dimensional characters. Motivations are as obvious as they are cringeworthy. Perseus, our hero, must undertake a perilous mission to save Andromeda, a woman he falls in love with at first sight, and as her mother's arrogance in declaring her daughter's beauty to be superior to the gods causes said gods to demand Andromeda's sacrifice or the destruction of her people and the entire city of Joppa, women spouting off at the mouth again, leading to the destruction of mankind. And they say that we are the monsters. Along the way on his hero's journey, he is gifted with weapons and armor forged by the gods, losing all of them in his journey, which sees him battling scorpions, a two-headed dog, Calabos, the disfigured former betrothed of Andromeda, catching the flying horse Pegasus, visiting the Stygian witches, catching a boat ride from Charon across the river Styx, and battling the queen of the Gorgons herself, all to gain the only power a mortal could wield, Medusa's head, in order to defeat the Kraken, a titan-esque monster by turning it to stone. Pretty basic popcorn flick stuff here, nothing to write home about in terms of acting or script. The remake follows the same basic plot, but with a few changes. Gone are the gifts of the gods, save for a sword that Zeus gives his son. The story is changed to make everything happen around the city of Argos instead of Joppa, and the film relies heavily heavily on CGI. Perseus is given a better backstory where he is saved by a fisherman and his wife instead of living a life of tranquility on an island and is drawn into the conflict of Argos versus the gods when a statue of Zeus is destroyed and his family is attacked by Hades, 
the god of the underworld. Hades plays a big part in the remake, where he was absent in the original. He resents Zeus's love for mortals and has learned to live off their fear instead of the other gods who live off the humans' love and prayers. He's convinced Zeus to let him loose upon Argos so that their fear will help him gain power under the guise of reminding us puny humans why we need the gods. Characters like Calabos and Arcrisius and their impact on the story are shown out of order. I don't particularly care for this. The original was a straightforward narrative where the motives of each character flowed in a natural progression. In the remake, it's jumbled. Perseus is on a mission of revenge instead of love. He wants to kill Hades or at least to usurp his plans. He doesn't care for Andromeda. I'm not really sure Andromeda spends any time in the movie. The remake also adds extra characters and religions. At one point, a djinn appears to save the ragtag group as they are hounded by building-sized scorpions. It's a contrivance that doesn't need to be there, and I feel was only added to get the heroes out of the bind they were in. Something that you see a lot in cinema is the writers write their story into a corner and don't know how to get out of it. So, MacGuffin time. To me, this is where remakes tend to fail. Their supposed additions to the story make me wonder. Are they there to prop up a weak script? Or to differentiate the remake from the original? Or to flesh out the story and the world that our tale inhabits? Who decides if an addition is what the film needs, or if it's just a distraction? I figure a lot of this could just be fixed in editing, where someone sits down with no real tie to the script or the investment and goes okay this runs way too long this is too convoluted this is fucking boring who are these people why do i care they're never really explained the jinn isn't really explained he gets one exposition dump he doesn't say anything in a language we can understand and he's only there to set up the action set piece with medusa that's it. Oh, and to ride the giant scorpions, because that's a thing you can do in this movie. However, as I'm getting off track, a modern retelling of a classic story is supposed to be just that, modern. Gone are the great-for-their-time special effects, and in come the bountiful amounts of CGI. But does it make the film better? CGI is supposed to work in tandem with the actors in the script to deliver larger-than-life visuals and bring the danger and excitement closer to home. The problem comes when special effects are more of a distraction than an aid. Modern movies are suffering greatly from this, from low-budget creature features to mega blockbusters. It's getting to the point where you can tell, it's getting to the point where you can either tell that it's fake by a glance or it's so saturated into each shot that you don't know what's real anymore. The overuse and reliance of CGI has given us some awesome spectacle, that's for sure. However, there's a certain attraction to the magic of older movies. In the original Clash, everything is portrayed in its most extreme side of the of the spectrum. Love at first sight, in which passion surpasses all realms of realistic credibility, fearless men, unbelievable bravery, all the classic literature components that can make an unforgettable classical adventure. Overuse of the word classical will learn how to write. The beauty 
of it is to witness optical effects and stop motion spectacles with drastically noticeable superimposed images and scenarios throughout 60% of the running time. And you know what? I love that. I love that type of filmmaking. I love it with every fiber of my being, consciously recognizing my weak-sided bias for these kinds of visuals. Because, for some weird psychological reason, even if they do not look so realistic or polished as millionaire CGI effects, they cause a bigger impact, and therefore enhance the epicness intended since the days of the silent film. While I give all credit due, to the technicians making CGI special effects. There's a certain level of passion that goes into stop motion that sitting at a computer doesn't give you. With this modern era of algorithms and save files, things like realistic walking can be programmed onto a wireframe and tweaked in a moment's notice to a scene's specific needs. That is simply impossible with puppeteering or stop motion. Each motion has to be meticulously planned and executed. Each scene has to be framed and shot under extreme circumstances. Things like lighting and backgrounds have to be thought out and planned months in advance. The actor's movements have to be worked around, not tweaked to fit a scene or a monster. The potential for post to completely change the tone and feel of a scene to the point where the actors themselves don't even remember what they had filmed on set moves films backwards, in my opinion. Gone is the actor's ability to pretend on screen in the age and in the age of CGI, a wrong motion or heavy action can just be created without the actor even on the set. And don't even get me started on set. Listen, people, green is not a set. It is not someone building, handcrafting, putting hundreds of people to work to create marvelous sets when a couple of nerds in front of a computer can go click, 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 and beautiful. Marvel, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you because you're ruining everything. It started with George Lucas, but you're ruining everything. The Clash of the Titans for me, is a classic example of modern technology diluting the impact. Take the Medusa scene from both films. The original built attention and suspense, knowing that the limitations of special effects at the time wouldn't allow for high action, unlike in the remake. The remake quickly devolves into an action set piece. Medusa's threat level is upped by her rapid, snake-like mobility. I prefer the original here. The slow pace, the tension, Three men enter her domain, and in moments only one was left standing. You get a feel for her potential, her, her viciousness in both of these kills. The rattle of her tail, synonymous with a rattlesnake, which everyone knows that iconic sound. Her lethality with her bow shows us that she has skills beyond that of her curse, and her gaze, which turns all men to stone, is a force to be reckoned with. Perseus has to be smart. He has to be careful. He tricks Medusa into following his reflection from the shield the gods gave him, allowing him to strike from the shadows and cut off her head. The remake handles this with a shot that is clearly trailer bait. Perseus leaping towards Medusa, Medusa as she charges him, and with the way that it's framed, you can clearly tell where that cut will be. 
The original had Perseus's victory over Medusa come at a cost. His godly shield melts from her caustic blood. The remake skips over this for a dramatic fireball as Medusa's body falls into a lava pit. As I've said before, CGI hurts this scene. You know that Medusa is fake from the moment you see her, which is true in both films. But to see her move with such speed, to have a small chase scene in her temple is just ridiculous. You know that the actor is just running around the set by himself and she is put in later. The same is true for the original, but without the chase scene, the gin explosion, and the stalactite impalement, Medusa is a threat by her simple existence in aim with a bow from the original. She doesn't need fancy movements or high-octane thrills. And that's the real standout difference between these two films. They are tonally very, very different. The original is a slower, plodding film that shows the gods interacting beyond making demands of humans. It's a tale of the power of love, where Perseus will do the impossible to save Andromeda and win her affections. The remake is a fast-paced romp of set-piece after set-piece. The gods talk briefly to set the plot in motion, but the focus is is not on how two different types of beings interact, but of one man's crusade to avenge his father. Which leads me to an intriguing question. What is the better motivator, love or revenge? As I was writing this script, I posted that question to the Talk is Cheap Facebook page to try to gauge a response. From the answers I got, it's clear that love is a better motivator. People will do... Things deemed impossible, things beyond the realm of normal thought for love. Love blinds. It blinds us to sense, it blinds us to reason, it blinds us to imperfections, it blinds us. Revenge, I feel, works as a motivator, but in a different way. Revenge is a driving force, like anger. It pushes you forward, it narrows your view, and makes you focus solely on one thing, getting that revenge. But revenge in itself is hollow. Once you've obtained it, it's over. You, you, you did it. Yay. But love, love is something where you, you're constantly striving for it. I don't feel like you ever fully achieve true love. And, I, and I'm using air quotes here. True love where you 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 have your love you have your passion or your lust and as it grows as it changes that lust becomes love becomes endearment becomes a, a soul belief a purpose to move you forward but love is constantly changing love isn't something that is one feeling or one emotion and that's it love for your spouse is different than love for your children. What what will you do for your spouse versus what will you do for your children? It's and that's not something you can answer easily. You can't just say, "Well, I'll I'll take a bullet for anyone that I love." Oh, okay, sure. Sure. But because the love for your spouse is different than the love of your children, there's some things you can't do. Like for my chicky boom should the need acquire i would give her my parts like 
part of my kidney, a lung, a, a kidney, or part of my liver, whatever, to help sustain her. I can't do that unless I'm magically matched with my spouse to save her life. It's a lot easier with children because they're half of you. Anyway, getting off, getting off topic. Um, the original movie shows that the power of love, not for the gods, but for a woman, will inspire men to greatness. You think of all the wars that have ever happened. How many of those were based solely on love? I, I mentioned Troy and Helen of Troy. That that was a war. That was a movie. Not necessarily a movie. That was a period of time that was just solely based on love. It started it. It wasn't the entirety of the war. Agamemnon just wanted to conquer Troy. But he only had the means of doing so because of love for Helen of Troy. Not from him, but you know what I'm saying. Love conquers all. Even a titan. Revenge has its place and is a great motivator in and of itself. But in this instance, love tells the better story. So, which do I prefer? Both, actually, depending on the mood. The original is classic for its visual style and its star-studded cast, including a young Maggie Smith. Many of you may not know who she is, but she would go on to such acting heights as Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter fame. The remake, with Sam Worthington and Liam Neeson, is a popcorn flick in its purest form. Big, loud, and dumb. It encompasses everything a summer blockbuster is supposed to, having well-treaded the familiar ground of a story that's already been told. In honesty, the remake is a more enjoyable film from a modern standpoint. As much as I have ripped on CGI in this script, the aged limitations of stop-motion special effects make the original a guilty pleasure, more than a true classic. Should this story be attempted again, I would recommend to the filmmakers to keep the tone more serious and restore the tension and fear of the climactic Medusa fight. The ancient Greek time period has so much potential in its stories that in the right hands could spawn its own franchise. I know, that's the last thing anyone wants to hear is yet another franchise. Franchise for this, franchise for that. We're trying to start a franchise for everything. Chucky's becoming a franchise. You know how many movies are starting, they're trying to become franchises right now? Like, Dune. And I know Jeff, I know Jeff's going to, he's not going to be happy with me for what I'm about to say. But, Dune. I watched part one. Thankfully, it's getting a part two of the modern retelling of Dune, which is like the first half of the first book. And I don't like it. I don't like it because it's it's long, it's plotting, it's boring, it's boring. It's the first part of Dune is an exposition dump. That's that's what it is. It is a giant. I'm gonna sit here and shit out all of this stuff for you to hopefully remember by the time the second movie comes around. And thankfully, the second one is getting made. Otherwise, this would have been another failure like the 1980s Dune, where you can't take a story this big, this far-reaching, and spit it out into a two-and-a-half-hour movie. 
It's simply not possible. What they attempted to do was set up everything in the background in the first movie, banking on the idea that they were going to be able to make the second one. Not agreeing to make the second one, but potentially making the second one. This is crappy filmmaking. Crappy. If Lord of the Rings, and bear with me, Jeff, listen to me. If Lord of the Rings had done this, had released Fellowship without any plans of doing um, Two Towers and Return of the King, it would have failed. Yes, Fellowship made a lot of money. But only because they went into making Lord of the Rings as one complete story. They sat down and said, we are going to make this. All of it at once. This way we can hold the actors. We can keep the budget under control. We can constantly move this forward. Think of it as what they did to Star Wars. George Lucas didn't know that Star Wars was going to be a massive hit. Nobody knew. No one. So they only reserved the actors for the first film. Now, when Empire, when it came around time to make Empire, Mark Hamill had gotten into an accident, a motorcycle accident, I believe, and it scarred his face. They had to write the whole Wampa scene into Hoth because they had to explain why his face was messed up. Think about that. This is why when you go into making an epic film like Dune, you agree to the entirety of it at once, not the first, the arguably worst part of the movie. That said, if something like The Mummy with Brendan Fraser can become a franchise, middling results, sure, but a franchise, then why not Ancient Greece? So... Episode 2, Clash of the Titans, goes to the remake as more fun. Why? Because of Liam Neeson. Now, I give this guy a lot of props. He's a terrific, terrific actor. I have enjoyed almost everything that he's ever been in. I haven't watched Rob Roy in a long fucking time. But Liam Neeson brings it in every movie he's in. Whether it's a rehash of a common concept like He's done 15 versions of Taken, but he always brings it. You think of the original Clash of the Titans, and from my age, because that movie was made before I was born, none of those actors, save for Maggie Smith, reappears in pop culture in a way that you know her. Like, the guy that plays Perseus? No idea. No idea who he is. I could look his name up, but fuck it, why? He doesn't, he's not in anything. Liam Neeson is a, is a household name, not just because of this film, but because of his entire career of films. Sam Worthington at the time was hot. He was, he was in Avatar, he was in this, he was in um, that shitty Netflix movie Titan. He was in a bunch of stuff. In, in, a, in a few years, he was in a bunch of stuff that he had permeated everybody's consciousness. They saw him, and he was, oh, that guy's bankable. He's bankable. So I'll go see that movie because he was bankable. So much so that Clash of the Titans, the remake, got a sequel, Wrath of the Titans. We're not going to talk about it, but it got a sequel. 
knowing your audience and knowing who to cast in films makes a big difference. It does. And now, I didn't do any research into the cast of the original and their impact later on in film. But Maggie Smith was the one that stood out because when I rewatched the original, I saw her and I was like, hey, that's, uh, that's McGonagall. And I had to look it up. I had to dig into it and go, is that her? And yep, that's that's her. So, yeah. From from ancient Greece to wizarding London, I guess. I, successful career? She had a very successful career. Anyway, that's, that's this episode. That is this original versus remake. I got off track there at the end, but I'll fix that um, in future episodes. What should we do next? I still have this long list. Um, you're going to hear some clicking here, but I have this long list of originals versus remakes that I want to do. So I'm going to have to post another poll to see what, what people are looking for. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's about covers it for the, this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for listening, and uh, I will talk to you again soon. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Elise, Jeff, and myself, we thank you for your love and continued support. If you want to support us further or chime in on the discussion, you can find us at Facebook at Talk is Cheap. That's why we have a podcast. Or on Instagram at Talking underscore Cheap. Be sure to tell your friends like our content, and share it. The best way we know how to do our job is for you guys to tell us what works and what doesn't. Anyways, love you all, appreciate all your support, and we will talk to you again soon.